So the first time when I'm pronouncing somebody's dead, it sounds pretty straightforward. You're looking, okay, they're dead, so let's write a note. But I'd never done it, and they didn't have any classes. So I'm, it was in the middle of this busy, busy night, and all of a sudden, I'm getting this nurse calling me saying, you've got to get up here and pronounce you know, the, the death on this person so they can take her. And I was like, if I looked at my chief resident, oh, what do I do? So I'll just do some neurologic tests and write the note and get back down here. We've got two more people to admit. You know, we're in the ER. So by the time I got up there, and I listened to her heart, there's no heart rate, you know, there's no lungs, there's no breathing, you know, like a shine of light in her eyes, you know, so I'm, I think she really is. I'm, a, I'm actually a second year resident. I never had to do it before. Usually the chiefs do it or somebody more senior just goes right. and takes care of it quickly. You know, but they didn't have a class in med school like how to do this, or at least I missed that day, I guess. And, um, but I went to close her eyes, thinking that looked really nice like in the movies when you- That's what they do in the movies. Right, yeah. you know, I'm gonna shut her eyes and say, yeah. So I do that and her eyes just pop back open, like rigor mortis said. And so I, mean, I tried it again, I was like, I was like okay, that's not working. Hi, I'm Chris Whiteout. Welcome to Living It, the podcast where we join experts in the experience of being human. Be bold, say yes to adventure, say yes to living it. Welcome to Chris Waddell Living It, the show where we talk to experts in the experience of being human. John Lawrence is joining us today, one of my best friends who most assuredly is an expert in the experience of being human, a <laughs> former doctor, an author, an actor, a movie maker, a script writer. What else do we have? An athlete, uh, a, a dad. Dad, uh, an imposter. I mean, you and name all these things, and it's one, of the, it's one of the things that we talk about a lot. Um, Do we have to get into the imposter syndrome right from the beginning? No, no, no. Let's talk about good things. Let's talk about you. Let's, uh... well, also, this we have to put up is the second in the trilogy of John's books that go from going into medical school to, to this, this is residency, this right? Is residency. And, and then to actually Chief residency and starting into a doctor, and we'll see if, uh, if the trilogy expands. Ooh. Uh, to, uh, I was thinking more of a, we might talk about a, um, I had the idea of talking about maybe doing a, a book for youth or even adults, just talking about the human body, but with my, my voice, we'll see. Also excited to get back to script writing, but yeah. Which is going to be interesting because we're also, we're going to have to get back to the idea of you were a doctor and while you were a doctor, you started writing your first script and have subsequently left medicine for writing, acting and filmmaking. But I want to I want to actually get back to this. How did the So the first one, yeah, which I've read, which is called Playing Doctor. This one is also called Playing Doctor. Yeah. This is just the uh, this is just the second in the in the line of it. But how did that come about? I mean, <laughs> so um, well, you were you were you were there for you we'd be laughing talking uh, stories that happened on rounds. And so the the book came about um, I was in residency, in med school, and this is pre-blog days, pre-vlog, you know, there was, they, they didn't really exist, but email had come out right after electricity back in the day, and we, uh, dating ourselves, um, and so I would just send messages out. I'd be in the hospital confused as usual, and, you know, send an email blast out just about the crazy things that were happening at three in the morning, and a bunch of friends kept them. I think a lot of friends thought I was breaking into the, the pharmacy because they were just, you know, three in the morning stream of consciousness, probably not the most succinct messages. And eventually a, a friend said, can I, can I publish a few of these? And I just flippantly said, no, I'll just write the whole thing. And so I sat down and just typed out, you know, this massive tome, you know, this huge volume of 700 pages. 
just like Jack Kerouac. Kind Something of just, it's yeah. Just your it's just one ream of, uh, of paper, right? The right. legend of Jack Kerouac, uh, Beyond the Road. Right? Exactly. Just this huge, you know, thing. And then um, sent it out. Didn't really, you know, edit it. I'd you know, send you a chapter every once in a while. And this is probably going back over 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And um, I did send it to a few. Uh, I sent it to some agents at one point, a couple. I remember trying to type a query letter and then a, a, you know, a few of them wrote back and wanted to see some samples uh, and those got rejected and so I threw, you know, tossed that away. So this is obviously junk. And, um, but I always kept working on it, kept working on it and eventually uh, I had a TV project I've been really excited about. I thought it was gonna get done and then um, it didn't. The guy I was working on it with suddenly said, no, you know, I've, I've got some advice not to do this. You know, we don't wanna do period pieces, don't work. I was like, what do you mean they don't work? <laughs> they're, they're huge, they're, they're great. But, um, and then I thought, I really want to get something done. I needed something done, uh, something that I could finish. And obviously with TV or film, you have no idea if anybody's, well, it's probably not gonna pick up my stuff, but even for me to get something off the ground and raise right. the funds and get it filmed, um, I thought, well, I've got this book. And so I kind of took that big book, split it into several volumes and just took another few years to edit. Uh, I got some editors and, and so self-published it, figured, can't stop me now. I can I can put it up there myself. Nobody will read it. But what was this like to be able to go back to those emails? Right, you wrote these mm -hmm. emails at three, four, five o'clock in the morning. You're you're averaging what two, three, four hours of sleep a night. Yeah, not the healthiest lifestyle when you're supposed to be promoting health. But. And you sit down and just bang out these emails about the funny things that have happened to you. And and incidentally, the first book is is on Amazon's bestseller list as well, right? Yes, in a, in a small niche. In, it's number one in a small niche right now. We've had a good week. We had a, we had a, uh, we had a little splurge in books. But I think a was, spike. Yeah, we, had a little, like, we sold like 500 books this week. So, wow. yeah, not bad. <laughs> not bad, that's great. <laughs> so that's been, that's been surprising and fun. Um, but what was it like to go back and look at those emails? Because you had all these crazy times, and, and your friends probably, who are on this email chain, were looking at it going, did this really happen? You know, some of the crazy things that happened to you. Yeah, that was... I mean, um, even the second book, right? I mean, this is... Yeah, the second. The third, the third I, I just got back from the editor, so that'll be coming out next summer. Um, it was, it, I guess I was lucky I did the emails, because there's no way I could have remembered years later, you know, In the detail, detail and the yeah. stories. And I used to also take notes. I'd be listening to my patients, and they would say just the most hilarious things, so irreverent or just, you know, naughty or something so funny. And I, I, be looking like I'm paying attention to them talking about their ailments and I'd be writing down, then she said, you know, this. So, so I, took, I had, I had um, you know, shoeboxes filled with, you know, notes and scraps of paper I'd written things down on and just random stories I'd quickly, you know, taken notes. So I took all those and, you know, that went into the, the first version of the book and then, so, you know, which, which was good, but as, as you know, you know, writing is rewriting. So it's just right. a rewrite, rewrite, rewrite. And after you've rewritten each chapter 20 times and then you find your voice and you're tweaking it and trying to smooth it out and, and reading it out loud and trying to find that my voice came through you know, more conversationally. But it was, it was a good thing I kept the notes, otherwise. It's a great thing, because I mean, I remember reading some of these things and some of these things were not in the first book, but I'm assuming are in the second book. Like the first time you had to pronounce somebody dead, right? <laughs> That's in books, yes, you'll get to, uh, you remembered that, yeah. Um, it's, here we are laughing about it. <laughs> it's, it's not, a, well, it's not a laughing matter, but it it's is a laughing matter. matter as well. I mean, just. Well, yeah, so, um, yeah, so the first time pronounce it, when I pronounce me, pronouncing somebody's dead, it sounds pretty straightforward. You're looking, you know, okay, they're dead, so let's write a note. 
but I'd never done it and they didn't have any classes. So I'm, it was in the middle of this busy, busy night and all of a sudden I'm getting this nurse calling me saying, you've got to get up here and pronounce you know, the, the death on this person so they can take her. And I was like, if I looked at my chief resident, oh, what do I do? So I'll just do some neurologic tests and write the note and get back down here. We've got two more people to admit, you know, we're in the ER. So by the time I got up there to see her, I walked in and, and she, you know, she was, this older woman was dead and I, the person I assumed was her daughter was there. So I, you know, I gave her condolences and I walked over and she said, can you put this, these, um, these like retainer in? Like denture, right? Denture the, things. The, the I, denture, I, don't know, I, I have this, I don't know why I have this like it's a repulsion to them. I don't know, ever since I was little, like, they just scare me. I don't like them. They look... So it's just weird. So I said, no, no, I made this whole thing up. I said, sorry, that's something they do at the funeral home. I don't want to like, I should let them do that properly. And, and it sounded like a good excuse to me. So I walked over and you know, I listened to her heart. There's no heart rate. You know, there's no lungs, there's no breathing, you know, like it's shining a light in her eyes. You know, so I'm, I think she really is dead. And, and I'm going to do this really nice movie gesture. And you're still young. I mean, like what, where is this in your career that you find that you have to like, well, the first time I, I'm, a, I'm actually a second year resident. I never had to do it before. Usually the chiefs do it or somebody more senior just goes right. and takes care of it quickly. You know, but they didn't have a class in med school like how to do this, or at least I missed that day, I guess. And, um, but I went to close her eyes, thinking that looked really nice like in the movies when you- That's what they do in the movies. Right, yeah. shut, you know, I'm gonna shut her eyes and say, you know, you know as you pass on. Um, so I do that and her eyes just pop back open, like rigor mortis said. And so I, mean, I tried to get it, it's like, I'm like, okay, that's not working, I'll just, you know. And, and I turn around to walk out, going, that, that didn't go as I expected. Um, this woman's husband there is a very stately gentleman. And you know, I say my condolences, and he says, you know, thank you very much. And here, can you put this retainer in? And he's like gripping my hand really tightly. So I'm like, apparently I will. <laughs> so I turn around and I lean over. I've never touched a retainer. I've never, I don't know how to put them in. I don't know if there's like a trick, like, do you know, yeah, I don't know what to do. And so I just try to like shove them in, except rigor mortis is set in. So her jaw is just like locked. And I'm trying to shove it. I'm looking back, like trying to shove it harder. It keeps How popping soon does Mortis set in? Well, apparently in the time it took me to get from the ER up to. <laughs> okay, so like that's how long it took. I think around an hour. I mean, okay. they'd, they'd called me. We were, there was one of these nights where you're just running in circles. And so I, I lost track of time. And, you know, it's like, all right, get up here. And, and eventually, you know, that, that will go away. But, you know, there's a time period where it does stiffen up. So I just keep trying to shove it in harder. It keeps like jutting out. Like, I'm like, I'm going to break her jaw. Like, I'm trying to crack it in deeper and shove it in. Like, good, stay in it. It keeps popping out. So finally, I, like, it's like a spring-loaded thing that's going to send out. Like, I just quickly shoved it in as hard as I could, walked out. And, and I just, I could kind of, waiting for it to like fly in the air. And I, I overheard the husband like, um, it's okay, honey. I'm sure they can do it properly at the funeral home. It's like, well, that's what I said initially. It should have been done that way. But yeah, so that... That made it into book two, so and, and you is, can skip that chapter now. Is that, is that a sense of, of failure as a doctor? Do you, or, or well, at that point, there, that wasn't much more, there wasn't much more I could do wrong at that point. There, I wasn't making it worse, so it really was one of these. In my mind, I'm going, this is, this is comedic. If it wasn't so frustrating that I couldn't get the thing in, and, I was, and at the same time, you're just saying, I've, I've got so many more patients to see right now. It's, you know, it's, it's two in the morning. I'm way behind. And, yeah, so there wasn't, uh, I didn't spend a lot of time beating myself up over that one. So you, you became a doctor. I mean, the thing is, you, I you did. went to, I don't know how they you went to college, and, but you weren't I went to college, man. did not know. That's the one thing I told my advisor. I said, the only, they said, you know, what do you want to be? I said, I don't know. But the one thing I don't want to be is a doctor. And that was, so that was, uh, it's, it's one of these things I've learned in life. Like never say what you, you know, what you don't want to do, right? Um, so that apparently manifested me becoming a doctor somehow. Um, that was in book one because that was there was a little like some twists of how I then had to go back and do all my pre-med stuff later and, and why I decided to actually go into medicine. Um, so went to med school. Yeah. 
Went to med school, and but you you'd been a, a river guide. You were living in Chamonix. You were you you, you had a fairly decent life. I was having a you good time before you went to med <laughs> went, school. Went ex yeah, went really far into debt. That was uh, yeah. I was we were uh, guiding um, skiers in Chamonix, and then was uh, with my close friend from here, Scott, and then uh, was running rivers. I met the same when we were in Chamonix. One of these guys from Moab came out, who Scott knew, and, and he said, "Well, if you want to guide rivers when you get back to the states, you should come work for me." I said, "That sounds like a great plan." <laughs> so, didn't have a lot of other plans going on at the time. I'd been working in law firms, kind of interning and stuff, and, and had applied to law school. Um, did much better on the LSATs than the MCATs, the medical boards. So, maybe that was the wrong direction. But I ended up. Um, but then uh, you started writing a script when you started residency, right? Is this how this worked? Um, the timeline? What's the, I had, what's I've been timeline? trying to write. I always loved the idea of writing movies. Yeah, that was one of those things that just writing was something to me that um, just felt authentic. For I don't think that's a trendy word, but it just, I'm not very good at speaking as you can sometimes Oh no, you're tell, spectacular. But I, <laughs> no, no, you're a terrible slouch. Um, the, uh, but when I wrote, it just felt like my, a more true voice came out. Like I could just find one. And so, and I just, movies From always, the time you were little, is that the way it worked? I, or? Creative writing. I hated writing, well, who, who enjoyed writing book reports or other types sure. of you know, papers right. like that? But I, I can re distinctly remember even in elementary school writing more creative stories. And like the whole class would like, John, get up, John, we want, you know, like, you know, I'd tell these ones that were just really just over the top silly and funny. And, you know, I'd tell my, I'd, it was called the Mud Monster, the Mud Monster series. And, but then even in, in high school, one of my uh, teachers, when he finally had us do a creative project, you know, he wrote back, he's like, where did this come from? I didn't even know you could write. You know, I mean, I really think he like, just thought it was, I mean, it was an AP class, so he knew I could write, but it, I didn't, apparently didn't put much effort in because didn't get very good grades until then. You know, and he saw this creative writing piece, you know, it, like that just stuck out. Um, so I always loved doing that. And then, um, and but, had you had you entertained any thoughts of where that might go, like as no, a kid? No, no, I really. I mean, dreams. I think of we thought like you're, you had to become like a lawyer, or a doctor, and you had to be serious. And you know, my dad was always one of these people who's like, you know, there's avocations and there's vocations. And to this day, I don't remember which is which. I think it was like this block I put on. Like, no, it isn't. Like, you can do things you like in life, but I really didn't think you know the idea of movies. Going to see somebody like going to see great movies or going to see a play even like as a kid it just hit me it just affected me and I like I've, I've I've told you before my wife will you know our kids are born and you didn't cry once you know I watch a sports movie and I'm in tears just blubbering you know like it's just one of those, you know films get me and maybe it's a safe place to be emotional I guess but um, or they do it really well or they, maybe they do it well yeah you didn't deliver the kids well enough honey that was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Take that out. We're editing that, it out. That's all. I, that I didn't no. say. To, yeah. I, she knows I'm kidding on that. Um, the uh, so I, I love the idea of of writing film. I didn't know how, but I definitely thought you had to be somebody special. You know, you couldn't just. I mean, one, I didn't think I had anything to say to write in a novel. You know, so I felt like you're supposed to write about really, you know, traumatic, terrible events and or really important issues or write beautifully. And I didn't think I could. I just didn't give myself credit that I could do that. And when it came to film writing, I really thought or making films, you had to be touched by angel dust, born into a Hollywood family, and how would you ever get into that? I just didn't get, again, I, I, I did some acting in, in college and loved it, and so that was, but I never thought, oh, I'll move to Hollywood and give myself the, didn't have the courage. I, I really don't think I, I gave myself the, um, I guess, yeah, I guess courage is a good word. I mean, take some courage to go and follow your, yeah, go follow your dream and go, hey, I'm gonna fall flat on my face, but I'm gonna keep doing it, keep doing it. And eventually, 
Which is a different, but that's a difficult path though too, right? So if you become a doctor, there's a logical path to becoming a doctor. Which was really upsetting to me. It was almost like angst to me. I mean, maybe like, you know what it's like. Like it's really fun to stand on the edge of the cliff when you're skiing and go, okay, this is is the fun part. Like, you know, all your training comes to being. And I remember like just distinctly, like I got into med school and I was walking through the grocery store here in town late at night. And I was thinking, man, I know what I'm going to do now for the next eight years. It was so spelled out. It was almost like a bummer. <laughs> it was kind of like, shoot. I mean, which is, you know, it just that, that idea of, and it maybe I'm sure that speaks on some other psychological level, but yeah, it's, um, you know, medicine is a meritocracy. It's, you know, you work hard, you know, what you're, you're going to do well, you'll get into where you want to go. Whereas certainly a lot of the other pursuits, you know, so many of the things you do making shows, you know, speaking, you know, you can work really hard at it and get nowhere, right. but you will, I, I do think, you know, there's a lot of people say that's not true. You, I think if you work hard and you've got a, an iota of talent, you'll eventually improve, get better. You know, if you can listen to people who are trying to help you, you, you will get somewhere. It doesn't there's so many mean, times you want to quit along the way though. Like, like yeah. some of these other things you think, okay, well I'm in it now. So I have a job. I'm moving forward. At least I have a job where these other things are like, I hope I can get a job. I hope that someone will hire me yeah. to use all of the all of the the accumulated knowledge that I have, you know, th- that I've gone through trying to trying to prepare for this thing, so that I can actually put it on display as opposed to just working on my own and get paid, hopefully as well. And is- get paid. No, that's a huge. I mean, for me, when I was. Um, I mean, I probably would have left medicine if I hadn't been in so much debt with medical school. <laughs> That's how they keep you there. On Veterans Day now, I, I mean, I, I need to pay these off. Um, and then I did, there was, there was some rational thinking, not that I have a lot in my life, but there, you know, there was a somewhat, it's not the best plan, but I know I'll go to med school and then I can be a doctor in a ski town and I can work in you know, community theater and get some independent films going, which happens. So that was kind of cool in its own way. So you really did think that in the beginning though. I, I mean, it was in my mind, like, okay, you know, if I do this, I, I think I was just justifying doing something which I never really planned on doing. It wasn't like I never had this, I'm going to go to medical school, you know, dream. It wasn't this thing of, you know, it was really more of, um, I mean, I met some really, when we were in Chamonix, I met this amazing doctor. Um, not sure what he diagnosed me with, but he gave me some pills to take because I was coughing up blood. <laughs> so I got better, so he must have been really good. But we, we spent most of the time talking about um, him skiing with his daughter. And... Um, this is a little bit in book one, but also about the Doctors Without Borders, right. Médecins Sans Frontières. And um, so I thought, that sounds really cool. I mean, those guys, that's, that's what I should do. I want to go help you know, people who actually need, you know, really need medical help. So it kind of you know, got in my mind. I, I thought, um, I, I bandied with the idea of medical school. I remember talking to my college advisor. I was thinking, well, I could be like a sports doctor because I get hurt a lot. So, you know. Got experience. I, so, yeah. At least I, on the other side. On that side, it seems like a fun job, you know, being at sports games and stuff. And then um, the, uh, he said, he made a good point. He's like, it just sounds like you're bouncing from law school to medical school because you don't know what to do with your life right now. And, you know, I didn't, I've, you know, if, I had, if I had, again, the courage thing, you take some time and say, what do you really want to do with your life? You know, what, what really makes you excited? And, and I think it's, um, you know, when you're in college, unless you have that goal and you know exactly what you want to do, it's, it's hard to get experience. It's hard to know, well, what is that like? What is it, you know, you feel like, well, I could, I could, I guess I could go see what it's like working as an accountant or an HR firm or this or advertising, but you, know, you got to go spend time there and see it. So, um, so the doctor thing was there, you know, you know percolating and then um, that happened. And then, and then I think there was a little bit of a jumping to something safe at that time which is so not, it's, it's um, you know, medicine certainly was going to be a, a lot of years and a lot of work, 
And, um, and then I started with a bunch of head injuries, so I had amnesia, so I couldn't remember what I was doing. So that was made things more complicated. No short-term memory when you started med school, which is right. a bit of a detriment. I think. There's some, I mean, there's some, there's, there weren't a lot of distinct advantages that I recall, <laughs> but I can't remember it anyway. There's, there was a bunch of rote memorization. So, um, so yeah, not having memory wasn't, it wasn't uh, great. But I do think, I, I, th this will sound really bizarre. So on a, on a, I'm on a plane trip. I, had, I was supposed to go out to a wedding in San Francisco. And it's back when I had miles. And I'm trying to talk to Continental Airlines. But I had to get there. I had to go through Houston, not the most direct flight from Salt Lake City. And we get grounded. I'm waiting in Houston. And we're just sitting there. And this, this woman comes walking down the aisle with her little tiny dogs and baskets and things. And, and I remember looking at her. Like she, she and I are just not like, I don't know. But she sat next to me. And like, we have not got anything to say. Two hours later, I think we're still on the runway. We're still like, we have not shut up together. Like, we were just, she, she was like a relationship specialist. And so we, I don't know what we were talking about. And so she, we gave each other a big hug in San Francisco and we left. And it became this person that randomly, and again, you go, this must not have been a coincidence. You know, we would call each other every few months. You know, like, and she'd be like, I can't believe you called today. Like, I just needed somebody to talk to. And she would call me on that day when I just, and I, I had this day where, um, I mean, this sounds, again, so weird. So I, I, I get stung by a bee, and it just hurt a lot. And I remember I tried putting chicken seasoning on it. I, remember I didn't realize it. You know, so I spiced it. I didn't, you know, you're supposed to put, like, meat tenderizer or something on your meat I don't know. I've heard somebody say you're supposed to. I'm, I'm I always a doctor. thought it was baking soda. Maybe. The, I don't know. This is not a medical expert show at this point. So <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not. Anyway, she calls up that day, and she says, what's going on? I start telling her about the bee and what had happened. And she asked me, what you're, you're like, what, you're, what were you thinking when the bee stung you? What was happening? I was running on the trails. And, um, and I remember I had passed a few people and they were all dressed in their fancy running clothes and I, I'm usually like, you know, whatever. Um, Ratty t-shirt. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and thinking, well, I just passed those people, you know, whatever. And she starts crying. I mean, she's in tears. She's like, John, I don't know what it's going to take. It's going to take a wall falling on your head for you to realize you're good enough. You don't need to please people. You don't need to impress people. Like you're a good person. And she's crying. I mean, she's like, I'm like, I'm like, and it really hit me. And but I was like, yeah, whatever. And the next day, I have this bike accident, and I wake up in the neurology ward, you know, with a bleed in my brain. This is four weeks before medical school, and it was like it was almost like that wall that she was talking about, like everything, like the ease with which I used to be able to remember things. And you know, school was pretty easy for me overall. I mean, I had to work hard, but get good grades, and that was gone. It didn't matter how hard I tried, I couldn't remember anything. And I think so. There was this little silver lining. I think if that hadn't happened, I mean, I think I would have just been driven to try to be you know, top of the class, gone for a, you know, gone for the most competitive residency, just because that's what you do. You just, you know, you're, you work hard. And instead I couldn't, and my friends were still my friends and I couldn't be at the top of the class. In fact, I got the lowest grade in the class <laughs> in the first exam. I was like, what am I going to do? So I finally had to go tell the, you know, the administrators like, hi, I, I just had a bleed in my brain uh, a month ago. And I just had another bike accident two days ago. That's why I'm covered in gauze and blood. So I can't remember anything. I can't remember where I'm going. I can't remember how to get home half the days. And, um, you know, they, so they at least said, well, why don't we get you like into one of the counselors here? So it was interesting because I think it did change probably my trajectory where I went into and then I you know, got through med school. It's like, this is still not what I want to be doing. I knew that. So I was sneaking out of the hospital going to auditions for TV shows and movies. And I'm, you know, I'd show up at a coffee shop first thing in the morning and hand wrote my first you know, screenplay or complete one that um, eventually we, we filmed. And is this the is this the conflict? I mean, your, your friend whom you met on the on the plane was saying, you know, you have to you have to recognize that you are good enough. 
Ooh, it, that took years of therapy and some it, other people I met to really help me through those issues. That was. But but is that part of it? Because it's been it's been existing for a long. Like the medicine, in some ways, is is a difficult and celebrated road. Sure. But at the same time, it's not necessarily what you want to do. And, and being conflicted with the other side of, of this creative side, which, which then you say, okay, well, I can do this, but will anybody ever buy what I do? Am I signing myself up for a life of being a struggling artist? Right. You know, and, and balancing these two and trying to take that jump and recognizing that maybe I do have something unique to, sh- to say and to share. Is yeah. that, was that the conflict I'm that you were in back. or was it? Well, you know, I think it's interesting after the past two years of the pandemic, I think people have all taken a step back. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, in even modern technology advents given um, more people can say, well, I want to do this and this, you know, it's really given us time. I think, I think, you know, you're the, we're in that same time frame where this is what you did. You know, you, you were still in the mindset of you're going to get a job at these, this career and you're going to follow it. And, you know, that's, that's going to be success. But for me, it was because um, you are intelligent. You know, so Not, it's like, no. I mean, I mean you. you're intelligent. You, you and I, we have, together. <laughs> we, <laughs> together, we'll together we might be intelligent. Yeah, exactly. But, but you do have that, you know, it, it's almost like, well, you've had this kind of a, this kind of background. You've had this kind of a gift from, from your family, the gift of education, the gift of intelligence. Absolutely. But then you, you, you know, it's, it's irresponsible in some ways. There, no, there was, there was that for sure. I mean, you, you know, it came from you know, being able to go to college was, was uh, a big gift and, and um, um, you know, being able to go to med school was a big gift. Obviously, so yeah, you, you, there was a lot of that. And I, I felt like when you're given this much, you certainly should give back. And so that's why I originally wanted to go into politics, environmental work, and, you know, and just to do more conservation efforts. That was what I, why I went to, was, was, you know, looking at law school. Um, so the, yeah, I think that's uh, certainly when you look at screenwriting, the, you know, the, 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 it comes down to storytelling. So many of the archetypal stories about wants and needs and facing our fears and, you know, what we want is not always what we need. You know, those, those base concerns of are we loved, are we good enough, you know, they, they come back time and time again in all the most, you know, the, the, the stories that I think do it the best. And we, we love just some simple stories that don't go anywhere. They're just fun and hilarious. But, um, you know, if you look at the ones that have heart to it, you know, you see like an arc of a character, you see them transforming. And I think we can all relate to to those types of stories so certainly you know where those all come from within us all you know who knows i mean sometimes there's some blatant trauma or you know characters that force it on you or we just face it for no no overt reason um so there probably was that too a little bit of i need to do something to prove myself a little bit whether to myself or to others that and medicine was certainly like you said it was a probably still is, you know, like a, a route that people look at and say, that's a good thing. You're going to help people. It seems like a, a good thing to do. Um, but I could never let it go. Like I just wanted to do something creative, creative, creative. And, you know, it becomes something, I think as you get older, you go, it's not, I want to be a Hollywood star it was never the thing, but I just loved acting. I mean, you and I were right. in some acting classes. Well, that's where we met really. We, yeah. We yeah. met at the fundraiser. And then I said, you should come down to this acting class and join us. And we were doing writing together, or writing accountability. Um, I just loved it. I mean, you know, Frank, our acting teacher, was like, you would do this for nothing. I was like, I am doing it for nothing. I love it. I'm paying you to like, I mean, we're producing shows downtown and up here and, you know, and just, I could do that all day long. It's like recess. It's playtime. You know, it's, you know, you know, follow your bliss. But it's essential at the same time, isn't it? I mean, this, the, the idea of storytelling is something that really is timeless. If you, 
if you do it well, you capture that moment, you capture what it means to be human. It captures, you know, what, what it means to have been in that moment in time. Yeah, no, that's, um, yeah, I mean, you look at the oldest things that we have of history is from storytelling, you know, it's cave paintings, it's, it's uh, we have, you know, telling stories is how we've passed on who we are, what we've done, what not to do, how to survive, you know, so it's been through storytelling. So it is there and it is, I think, archetypal. We sell stories to our kids, they like to hear stories. Um, and I think it's, um, it is essential. I think it's essential to what we do. I think the, the struggle sometimes, at least for me, I mean, I look, I look at your stories and your movies, and we've talked about this. You know, certain stories that, you know, there a lot of times writing class will tell you, why, why does this story need to be told? And I'm thinking, well, I don't, none of it, what I have to say needs to be told. It's just, I think it's funny. Um, you know, but you look at, you know, you're, you have a mission with your stories, with your films, with your books. You're telling, you know, a very uh, inspiring, heroic, you know, talk about overcoming the odds and trying to affect, you know, a, a you know, population um, to open their eyes and be aware of, you know, uh, of, of what we can do for, for people with disabilities and, and um, or other books with racism or something like that. You know, I look at what I write and go, my stories don't battle any of these big themes. And at the same time, when we were putting on plays like the, the Shakespeare play, the, you know, the complete works of William Shakespeare abridged, it was a, you know, a hilariously written play. And I remember telling our fellow actors, the guys I was doing it with, you know, if one person gets to enjoy their day because they saw this, then we've done something good. And I remember this woman coming up, she's like, I was having the worst day. And I saw you guys tonight and it just made me laugh. And I just got to tell you, it was really great. I'm like, okay, we've done something good. We've made one person happy. So, so there is that. There's something about the arts that, yeah, I mean, it can do that. Now, I mean, you talk about it as playtime and you talk about that you would do it for free. But at the same time, you did a whole lot of work to prepare yourself for to be an actor, to prepare yourself to be to be you know to be a director because we will talk about your movie yeah, uh, as well. Uh, and I mean, I, I don't think I mean we have to talk about your movie because I don't think I've ever seen you as passionate about something as you were when you were making your movie. And and also just looking at I mean one of the cool things that I saw in the movie was you you hired a bunch of people who were who were really skilled. Who yeah. are really talented, and those people said, "If John does something again, I want to be a part of it." Which and I you were a first-time, a first-time director, so that is a huge, 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 huge <laughs> compliment. So you got yourself to the point where you actually knew what you were doing before you did it, as opposed to apologizing to people afterwards to say, "I'm sorry, I'm a first-time director. I don't really know what I'm doing," but you actually knew what you were doing. So. The, the attacking the, the idea of, of how you do this, because there was a conflict with you know, the safe side in some ways of, of being a doctor and being a grown-up, which then the other side in some ways feels like being the child and, and doing this creative stuff and playing. But, but you put a whole lot of work into the creative side in order to be prepared and in order to do it well. What was the what was, what was your mindset? Was that was that just fun? Was that just tr going going along, following something, trying to trying to you know just hmm. trying to figure out how to do it well because you just wanted so desperately to do it well? How did that fit? Yeah. Well, the this is the, interesting. The like looking at the body language here, I you're know. All like, like, wait, so like, I'm yeah. trying to remember going back. Let me go back to that who I was. Um, no, it's a great question. When you bring up stuff where you haven't thought about what was the mindset. When I say I feel like a child doing it, the play, because I could. I mean, you know, people used to say when I was 
we talk about medicine, and then also when they start asking me about, oh wait, I hear you you wrote a movie or you like writing, and I like so many people would say, do you realize you just completely changed the way you talk? Like you're a different person. Like I didn't even recognize you because. I mean, I felt like I was so contained in medicine in a box and it wasn't what I wanted to do, but then all of a sudden I could talk about what I loved and you're just like, oh my God, let's, you know, you could just, and it's so excited, you know, just, I just work on rehearsing scenes all night long and just loved it, loved it, loved it. I, you know, could care less, you know, could talk about film forever. And then, um, so that's, that's when I, when I say like childlike play, like it was just like recess, like you could just do it. I mean, that's, I could do it seven days a week, all day long. And, you know, it, it was never stop. But, I also, I think just who I was, was you always worked hard at it. You know, like, you know, if we put on a play, well, yeah, we're going to rehearse the snot out of it. You know, you're going to do it and do it and do it until we, you know, make it the best you can. And so, um, you know, people, like when I made the, f the film, when I directed it, um, I, I felt like I was having the best time of my life. And at the same time, it was the most frustrating, hardest, like you had just tears banging your head on the desk, so frustrating, no sleep, hating it, that part of it. At the same time, this is the best thing I've ever done. I'm absolutely, this is awesome. But it was, wasn't because it was just like birthday party fun. It was just the hard work that you got out of it. And I, and I don't think you would have enjoyed it as much if it wasn't. So for me, like you said, it was getting the best people around me. And I got so fortunate that some of the people that came on, you know, were willing to, um, to do it. Uh, so that was just a, a gift to the film because you have a guy who's Gino Salvatore who shoots a gorgeous film and the sound and the music people were amazing and you know the actors were great so the part that's probably not good is the writing and that was all on me since i wrote it so which is a self-critical part as well it was yes. but the great thing is i i mean I, I could look at it very objectively and go oh i i read lots of screenwriting books and i've studied lots of movies but until you do it it was kind of like my film 101 and then you get to say okay now i get it now and now i can see what didn't work and so after that, I just started going to screenwriting festivals and attending screenwriting lectures and just, you know, and I just sat down and wrote script after script after script. Just and saying, listening to podcasts. Oh, and, and the, yeah, podcasts hadn't really come out yet even then. This okay, is a, yeah, right. This is before, you know, this is a new thing. So now the, you know, now the, you know, like things like the Script Notes podcast and um, um, uh, there's, there's a whole bunch of screenwriting ones, Meg LaFalfa ones, it's amazing. So you can learn so much great craft. And again, I think it'd be one thing to hear them, but until you actually write a lot, you don't really get it. And until you maybe, you know, for me to see it was such a gift, you know, I mean, it was, like I said, it was my film school. I mean, I took cashing out my 401k, maxing four credit cards, having a lot of friends take, you know, they, they knew they were saying, here, we're going to give you Did the you money. Did you sell your house too? Or yep. You, that yep. went into it. Yep. Yep. And my car. Yeah, in your car. Um, yeah, and uh, so but this was also the script that you started writing when you were in residency, right? This was yeah. this yeah, yeah, yeah. was the I hand wrote shop. it. Hand wrote it. Yeah, went through a lot of renditions. It's one of the ones I do. I want. I'd love to do the uh, to do it again because the story originally was based around a friend of mine, a very dear friend um, who died, who was a bike racer, and um, he was killed in a car accident. And it just devastated all of us. Um, and so I wanted to do, as a, it was kind of a tribute to him as a bike racing sure. film, about what one person goes through when their, their friend dies. And the original theme, I had this, this idea of, if you know, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony is broken into four parts, four different movements, and it's supposed to be this, um, this uh, basically four different, three different aspects of his life that aren't working in each of the first three movements, and then you get the famous Ode to Joy, that every, you know, the, the bit of the Ninth Symphony everybody knows. And so I had this, the, the original script was basically this guy lying in a ditch, and he's been hit by a car, and it's kind of a, in, the, in the musical piece where there's this loud crash sound that says, no more of these, this isn't right, and this is what this is about. This is the O2 humanity and, and love. 
And it was about to be this guy that's kind of looking back as he's lying and trying to decide, does he try to crawl out of the ditch? He's alone in the desert after he's hit on his bike and the car drives off. And he looks back on different aspects of his life, you know, his, his career as a bike racer, his relationship with a woman, his, um, and none of them are working. And so realizing there's still a lot to hold out for. Wait, I'm going to want to make these things work still. It's the people in my life. It's that woman. That's why I want to get out. And that's what the last quarter of the movie was meant to be. And it became a very generic kind of sports movie that wasn't so good, but it was still a great learning process. <laughs> so, um, you know, after you rewrote it, and a lot of people kind of said, well, you know, it's, it's, you know, I think if I'd had trusted my own instinct to go with something, it would have been a little bit more daring. And I say, went a safer route. But that was one thing. I mean, filming a bunch of bike racers for a first-time director, the first film people will know this. My very first day directing, we filmed 10 pages, which is a lot to do with a major change of, of location, too, on my very first day directing. So it was a huge amount of to do. And then we do these bike days where you're just, we're just trying to get one person riding down the road, you know, just to get it right. And you're like, you know, these, they're actors. They don't know how to look on a racing bike. <laughs> So it's these really, and they were such good sports. And, you know, we're trying to make with no money, trying to make it look like a big race. And uh, so it was a lot of fun just figuring it out and, and getting it to work. Yeah. And, and that's right when you were filming your movie, too. So, we, you know, we were kind of running, well, we showed up at a film festival together. We did. We did the yeah. Napa Valley Film Festival. Yeah, it was a which blast. Was, which was great fun. It's... But, but that pursuit, but you were still balancing that too, right? So you were still balancing, you were still a doctor. I was still a doctor. I'd left, I did take a, a, a pseudo sabbatical at that point. And I told, you know, I said in my clinic, I just, I was a medical director of some urgent care clinics that were privately owned. And so one, I made the rules up, but I, I, was, I had a pretty good relationship with everybody. And, you know, they knew, they knew I worked really hard and had, you know, everything was fine. So I said, okay, I'm going to take off for a bunch of months and do this. And they knew what I loved this. You know, they would all come to the plays I would put on and stuff. They all, so they've seen me in very silly uh, theater production. So, you know, if anything, they were very supportive, luckily. So, so, so there was the medicine side, then there was the, then, the, then there was the movie and then there was, there was the, the family. That yeah. Well, that's, that's along, why we right? filmed the movie when we did, cause that had been bouncing around, you know, we, we'd sent it out for bigger budgets and I didn't, I, you know, it just wasn't getting made. I was writing some other scripts and, um, and, uh, I came upstairs one day, my, um, my now wife, um, was she, she, just didn't, she was on the floor, she didn't look very good. I said, are you okay? And she said, uh, no, I'm really dizzy. I said, well, what's going on? She said, I'm pregnant. And this is with our second. So we, we, and I barely survived our first year with our first child. He had severe colic. Poor guy was like just yelling for 23 hours a day and none of us slept. I mean, I, was, I had PTSD. I had, I, had, I had tendonitis from doing so many deep knee bends trying to get him to sleep. And as soon as you stopped moving, you know, you'd be in the thousands, just dripping sweat and he'd be asleep and all of a sudden you'd stop and he'd be screaming hysterically. And I'd feel guilty going to work because Chandler would be home with, with, with Luca. Child. <laughs> She'd look at me like, like daggers, like I can't believe you get to go spend 16 hours listening to sick people complain about their diarrhea and I'm stuck here with this kid screaming. I was like, I know, it's such a fun life I get to escape to, but it did, it felt like you were escaping. You know, people would show up and say, oh my goodness, can you look at my kid? He's been He's been snotty and crying for 20 minutes. What do we do? It's like, I'm going to kill you right now. That's what's going to happen, actually. And um, so when she said we're having, she you know, said she was pregnant, I was like, oh, my goodness. If, if this is anything like the first time, we're never going to make a movie. So I, I, when she said I'm pregnant, I said, wow. And then I said, we're going to film a movie this year. And I was just, like, committed. You, know, it's one you said that, that to her I in did. the moment? I did. That was exactly what I said. And How did was, that go over? I think she was dizzy. Like, they might not have listened to me. Just, <laughs> okay. she, you know, we'll see how much she listens to me anyway. And... Uh, and so it was just a mental commitment. And, and you know, I mean, I've, you know, um, the quotation about until you're committed, there's hesitancy, the need to draw back. And, and once you commit, things go your way. So it was that we said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to find a way to do it. And it just 
found the lowest budget we could make it on and, and ended up going to a very close family friend and we presented it and pitched it and he said, what's the lowest budget? So we like, we even dropped it lower than that. We said, we can make it for this much. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, can we? I'm looking at the guy, you know, this unit production guy with me and, and uh, he says, well, if you can find the other half, I'll, we'll put up half. And so, I mean, I just, like, I was about to like just leap over and kiss this guy and I was just, that was it. That's what I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm cashing out everything. I'm, you know, I'm going to other friends. And so we got the money together and, you know, it ended up being more than that. We had to get other, but the, uh, we got money from the state of Utah. Um, and, uh, like I said, credit cards, film commission. Yeah. We had to present it, do that. So that was great. You know, we had to go back and ask for, for more money to complete it. it. Ended up going a little bit over what we predicted, but got it made, committed and did it. So that was, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, and that, that led to somebody else asking me, hey, I heard you wrote a bike movie. And I said, yeah, I'm never doing that again after, you know. <laughs> He's like, oh, because I just got the rights to a book with uh, kids on bikes. <laughs> it's like, he says, hey, we need somebody to write it. So I was like, oh, okay. So, and they, um, so that was, you know, it's just, you know, it just, you know, one thing leads to the other. If you hadn't done that, you never would have gotten the next, the next step and the next films were leading to the books. Who knows? So. You never really know. And that's, yeah. that's the hard part uh, on that road, right, is that. You can do this and it might go nowhere or it might go somewhere or it might go somewhere in a year or two or whatever and can you persevere and and be able to stick around long enough for luck to happen sometimes absolutely and there is no i mean we've talked i mean it's one of the things i think you can really be nervous one you can be you can hit a lot of resistance and lose all momentum if you're worried about well i just want to get a movie made i want to make this you know, like we talked about saying it's such a big thing to think I want to make a, you know, this book or I want to do something big. And you, and you have to kind of go back to that. Well, then start writing, you know, every day. It takes the, the little steps that get you there. You know, you, you don't climb Kilimanjaro by saying I want to be at the top. You right. climb it by training hard and then one, one step at a time. But um, the, the resistance, the failure thing, you know, I think there's a lot of it. We can certainly do a deep dive on that, the self-criticism and the resistance and how hard that can hit you. And you can just, you know, slave through that and how much that can paralyze you. But you find different tricks to get through it, but that thought of there is no failure, you know, like you, you, will, you will learn along the way, it will take you to another place, you know, and, and so I do think, you know, at some point, just doing things makes, you know, whether it is just putting pen to paper, stepping out and doing it, it will lead somewhere, scary as that will be. But is that easy enough? Is that something you have to reconcile in your mind? Because it's easy to paint things as failure, right? That, that you made a movie and it should have won an Oscar, and so since you didn't win an Oscar, since, since somebody didn't buy your movie and make you whole financially, it's a failure. Well, I think I, I was pretty honest. I knew it was a, a, an okay film. I didn't, you know, I, 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 like I said, I think we turned it into something too generic. And um, so I, I, was, I was objectively with the film. I never thought it was gonna win awards. I was, you know, I got lucky that it got into a few festivals and, and it was bought for, rights in different countries we just that was another learning curve we got ripped off and the guy never paid us he took all our money and and uh did that to a few other filmmakers who got together and wanted to go beat the guy up um learn a lot so of I, painful I got, lessons you learn some painful lessons you don't forget them that way which is good i guess um so that's maybe very uh, almost like skeptical with a book like who i've hired on the second book because the first book i just did on myself and the second book i decided well i'll hire uh i shouldn't say that i mean like i had a I had a, an editor who edited the first book, and then you know, or, you know, gave me a lot of notes to, for me to go back and rewrite. And then had a you know cover designer. I didn't design the cover, you know, things like that. So I, I shouldn't say I did it myself, but I did you know put it out and publish it and market it and do the ads. 
And then for the second book, I've had, had somebody else, but I've been so nervous. How do you find the right person? And, you know, with the film, we just went through so many people who, um, you know, you don't know what you're doing. And so you, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, you have to learn as you go. You mentioned that you did the film before Matthias, 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 yeah. I, can, I can pronounce stuff here. Uh, but anyway, before Matthias was born and you have, you have three kids. Well, now. I shouldn't say that. We, he was born during filming. He was born during filming. He was okay. actually in the film. We have Luca was in, uh, I wrote a, for those of you who know Tour de France history, there's a famous moment when uh, Lance Armstrong looks back at Jan Ulrich, gives yes. him the look. Right. And that's when he takes off as if to say, you know, come with me. And, and he couldn't. And so we put that at the beginning of the film, our, our hero is riding his bike through a, a park and he looks back, he passes this woman pushing a, pushing a stroller. And he's like, he's in his head, he's like Lance Armstrong looks back at Jan. So he looks back at this pregnant woman and just sprints off. And so the only, the pregnant woman we have is my wife. So she, she was uh, inexpensive at the time. And so she's, and it's August and she's pushing uh, a stroller with a, you know, <laughs> Luca's two up a hill repeatedly in a really hot day. And um, yeah, I'm not sure the film crew was very impressed by me on that day. And then um, uh, maybe that's why I thought I wasn't a first time director. Look at him just cracking the whip, making that pregnant woman walk up the hill. That was, well, it was the second to last day of, of primary shooting. And also we get a call later in the day, we're, at a, we're filming at a cafe and I get a call. Um, uh, your wife's on, the, on one of the phones, production phone. So um, I'm like, what's going on? She says, oh, I'm, I'm over here at the hospital. It turns out I'm in labor. <laughs> So, um, this she, exercise and she was shooting induced out. it. Well, who knows, right? <laughs> was that? Um, he was uh, scheduled for a C-section a little bit later. So all of a sudden, I, and she said, they're going to do it right now. And I, I used to do a lot of OB medicines. Like, what do you mean they're going to do it right now? Are you, are you like progressing? Are you, are you okay? Are you like, no, I'm fine. They just said they want to do it right now. It's like, and so I didn't realize on speakerphone. So I very sarcastic, what does the OB have? Like, it's, uh, I have like a, a dinner date. She can't wait until I get there. She can wait until I get there. I'll be there in like half an hour. Tell her to wait. And so it wasn't ROB, ROB is fantastic. And uh, he was just not on call right when she gets brought down and was checked and they said, oh, you're actually, you know, you, you need to have a C-section now. And so when I got there, this woman wouldn't talk to me. You know, usually it's kind of a friendly scenario, but she was apparently thought I was a really obnoxious idiot. So, so, so Matthias was, so, you know, I, I left filming and uh, that luckily it was towards the end of the day. And, and the next day, you know, as we're, it was our last day of shooting. So at lunch break, I raced up to the hospital. So it was pretty special, but on the credits you get to see. I think you might even say like Matthias in stomach. Um, so that's his first film, you know, in utero. Pretty good. That is awesome. Well, yeah. he's, he's starting his IM, IMBD, IMDb, IMDb, yeah. IMDb quickly now. But uh, is this part of, you know, I mean, it's like this happened, the filming happened right before Matthias was born. Yeah. Is this part of the message? Is this part of the lesson that you want to teach your children? I mean, are you kind of living living the path that you want to teach your children? That was a big part of it too. Um, it really was when I, when I was making uh, the film or the theater stuff we did, it was, I mean, I would talk to, you know, we'd talk about it saying this is, I don't want the kids seeing me working as a doctor because that's not what I said I wanted to be. I want them to know like I took chances, you know, knowing this could be a smashing failure. This is not going to be, <laughs> but your dad did it anyway. This is what he loved to do, so he did it. He wanted, he wanted to do theater, he did it. He did you know, like, you know, committed to certain things and would do it. So that was, that was really, yeah, it was important that they, that that message was passed on because I could certainly look back at my life and, you know, there's a lot of things I've done that I was very afraid of, but I looked at one of the biggest things I did with medicine. And, and again, it, you know, it, it did take a lot of work and time, but it wasn't, it wasn't what my dream was. And so I, you know, it's not that I regret it. I certainly had a, you know, it's been, what's the right word? 
it's not so much like, oh, it's been an honor to help people, but you know, it felt like it was a good thing to do. It did bring me, you know, I learned a lot, got to work with a lot of amazing people, um, but it wasn't my dream. And I wish I had had that courage earlier not to do it. I didn't, so it's, you know, it's, this is where life took me. Um, but it's a message I do tell them nowadays is, you know, I, want, I don't care what you do or choose to be. I just want it to be something that you really want to do. I want you to have, you know, want to work hard at it, something you enjoy, because then you'll do well. Isn't that flip side hard as a parent, though? The, the, the idea of your kid going into something that they might love to do, but not being able to support themselves in doing well, what Well, that, that's always that. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one because we, um, yes. I think as a parent, I, I, think, I, think, I think enough steps back, you realize you're not, you're not gonna fail. You know, if it's something you really love to do, you're gonna find a way to do it. And, and if they're working in restaurants and trying to be a, a writer, great. You know, I'm gonna, you know, obviously we'll help support them, but I, I, I'm not as concerned, I think, I think, as you feel on the other side. I think as, a, as the child, you know, as the person when you're in the shoes of, I need to succeed in people's eyes, it's probably a lot more pressure. And I think from my point of view now, you look back and go, I mean, you look at all our friends and all the things they've done and everybody takes different chances and they find different ways. And so they're young enough yet that we're not facing it, but yeah, I'll, I'll probably sing a different tune when they're old enough. And, <laughs> Tell me what they really want to do. No, no, no. You go be a doctor first. Then you can do that. Yeah, then you can raise 50 dogs. When you finally made the decision, because, I mean, as long as I've known you, you've been on the fence as far as like, well, not on the fence. You've, you've been saying, I'm going to leave medicine. I'm going to leave medicine. I'm going to leave medicine. Mm -hmm. And then when you finally decided to leave medicine, what was, what was that decision like? Well, there's probably two big leaps that I made. Um, one, I'd had a very traditional medical um, career, and that was um, for different reasons, for different reasons that we don't need to go into. It was really, one, it was, it was shift work, which is great, because I could work two or three long shifts a week, and then I'd have the other days to work on films. So in some ways, it was ideal. And for a lot of years, it was. And then things changed where I was working, work scenario changed. We had kids, so suddenly, saying goodbye to them in the morning and I'll see you the next day. Cause by the time I got home, it was late at night and they were asleep. So I wouldn't see them for, a, you know, that was really hard on both of us or all of us. Um, so when I left that job, I remember I, I was so excited you know, to, to give my two month, you know, whatever you call it, resignation. And, um, and it was one of those, I remember I met with a woman. I, I was at a coffee shop and this, this, I hadn't seen a, a friend from a ski team for a while. And, and I was like, what are you doing? She's like, I told her I was working as a doctor, but I want to leave. And I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm a life coach. And I said, I need a life coach. This is fantastic. And she bullet pointed down, well, how much, you know, do you have enough money to leave? I was like, no, not yet, but I can figure out how. And, you know, so we really made a, some points of how to leave. And, and it was really within like two, three weeks, actually, I, I thought, okay, I'm writing, my, I'm writing my resignation letter. I'm going to find some other way to do it. And um, when I left that job, I, 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 I took off my scrubs and I took off my shoes and I did cartwheels out the front door of the clinic in my underwear. And that was, so that was a joyous, I'm done. I felt such relief. I remember seeing friends like, you seem really relaxed and happy. I was like, I am, I left you know, this job. And at the same time, I you know, started talking with um, uh, a friend who had wanted uh, to, to work together and open a clinic before and it was, again, one of these, you know, as soon as you made that commitment, I'm going to leave, uh, one of our mutual friends who had introduced us um, said, have you talked to Reagan? You know, he's, he might want to start a clinic up here. I said, no. So I sent him a message. He said, I'm in Germany. When I get, let's meet next week. So we met, you know, the following week. And we said, great, let's open a clinic. 
you know, a month later, we've opened a clinic in Park City, but it was more of a, much more aligned with my own visions of health, right. you know, treating things naturally, um, more of a functional medicine clinic. We did started doing a lot of regenerative medicine. So in some ways it was brand new um, medicine in a way. So again, that fear, that challenge of having to learn something I didn't know was really exciting and challenging. Um, and it was more aligned with what I believed in, what I thought, you know, for my own beliefs in health and wellness. Not so just that, giving out painkillers. Not just giving out painkillers, yeah. Right. And really trying to, you know, and I got to spend much longer time with each patient, got to know them. So it was really, in a sense, that was a much better shift that I could actually leave medicine in really good terms. And I really enjoyed those patients. Now at the same time, you know, and, and I was very blunt with them saying, but my first love is I want to get back to making movies. So, you know, I was able to find the time to write the book and I kept cutting down my hours there, cutting down the hours, also I'm doing other work or career things and writing here and you know, have another kid. And so it was, I finally just said, I can't do all this. I need to really be focused on maybe two jobs, not four or five and my family <laughs> and um, taking care of myself. And so I left that one and that was, um, at the, by the time I did that, I was ready to leave and it you know, left on good terms. And so it was, uh, but it was, it, I, didn't, I, I didn't have to do cartwheels out the front door. It was, you know, I still go back and say hi to everybody and patients two years later now, I, I stopped by to, to get acupuncture and you know, I'll, I'll be, I was there the other day and they had multiple patients calling saying, can, can Dr. Lawrence still treat me? <laughs> you know, is he still, you know, can you get him to come in maybe just for me? So it was, uh, so that's nice in a way. Um, oh, it's super nice and flattering, and, and I have to say that you were a really good doctor, as much as you might not well, yeah, endorse we can, that. We, we can mock my, my medicine. You can mock I can medicine. mock my medicine very yeah. well. It's in the books. You can see how much I mock it. I had some really great training. I was very fortunate to have you know, all the, the, the residency programs and the teachers here. Are, you, know, you have an amazing medical community, so I was very fortunate to be a part of it and to learn from them. Um, and in medicine, it's very, you know, you're taught basically there's only one right way to do it. You know, there's, there's basically an acceptable way. Um, and so you, you strive for that. And, uh, but it, yeah, it was, it was um, there was no struggle to leave. And it was really exciting I, you know, I, to, to get these books going and go, this is what I want to focus on. It just felt so true to myself and you know, I love it. What does that momentum feel like? I mean, is it creating momentum having one book out that, that is on, I mean, you said it's a small niche, but at the same time, that is, that is a bestseller on Amazon. <laughs> You know, yeah. And and then the next one is coming out, and the third one is going to be following close behind. Yeah, no, it's um, it's a day to day thing. I mean, there's there's days where I can sit here and hear you say that out loud, and I go, oh my goodness, that's so cool. I can't believe that happened. And on most days, it doesn't feel like that at all. You just feel like, okay, it's another day of I've got to get you know cover written for the back of the second book, and I've got to edit the third, and I'm trying to work on the film scripts. And oh my goodness, I think the second book sucks. And I've, nobody's going to read it. If any, it's not. You know, I'm surprised anybody read the first book. So it's just, it's a very dynamic, day to day. You know, my writing's terrible. Well, none of these stories are good enough. So I think well, this book has nothing. You know, this doesn't help humanity at all. And other days you go, well, look, I sold ten books. That's exciting. So, um, but it does it does when I say it out loud, thinking, okay, next summer we'll have three published books. That's you know exciting unto itself. But it does. Um, yeah, it gives you a little bit of belief, but like I said, a little bit. I think it, it, I think that resistance is still there all the time. Okay, sit down, write, turn everything else off, get the work done. It's pretty basic. What's that like? In some ways, it's almost like you're you're facing your mortality every day, kind of thing. You know that you that you look at it and go, "My writing's awful. Why? How can I do this? I don't really want to do that." You know, it's like you know you want you want to get there, but 
that battle, that initial battle of just getting over yourself is, is something that is every single day and might not have been like when you were a doctor, it probably wasn't the same way, right? Well, no, I think it, I think it is. Um, I think we, you know, we talked about it a little earlier that one of the, I've, I've only come to terms with it recently at a book club talking about leaving medicine. Um, you know, when, you, when you're in medicine, you just did the work and it was what you did. And, and I was somebody who just didn't really let my patients go. So it was, it was, it was on your mind so much more than you probably even realized because you wanted to just, you know, even the patient you had thought maybe I hadn't thought of something or maybe I didn't do the right test. You know, you, you, be home thinking about that late at night or keeping you awake or while you're seeing the patients, you know, you'd, I'd be taking extra time with every patient I couldn't figure out because of, you know, pre-Google days you're in books and, you know, then you, had, you know, you're trying to find other articles on the, on the patient or calling up to consult on somebody and you're falling behind your schedule and you're like, oh, I just want to do the, I need to do the exact right job for every patient you wanted to do that level. And if you didn't do it right, I mean, for the, you know, for 99 patients, you might take care of well, if you had one that didn't go well or didn't like the way you treated them, you know, you just wanted to quit right then. Felt like you're just the biggest loser. They're probably the worst doctor in the world. And it was, you know, just awful. Um, certainly with the writing as, as you know, writing a book about when you're the main character, it's not only are they going to criticize my writing, <laughs> my story sucks because I'm the, I'm the person. So obviously my life must be a failure because, you know, who'd want to read this? But, um, I don't know if it's, it's, I think for me personally, I, I think, I think all writers face that for me personally, I did realize I, I could let criticism really hit me hard. You know, being a somewhat of a people pleaser type thing. I remember reading some early, we, we, we put out some really easy, early, like almost teasers, not even trailers, not even commercials for the film. They were just like, Hey, we want to cut some fun stuff together with the bike racing to show people and um, specialized in donating some jerseys some of the nastiest comments I've ever seen. Like, you, I mean, I started having much more empathy for like real, you know, the real artists out there, the musicians and real, you know, people who've written big books and films. Like I was like, I don't, I write nothing but good reviews now for anybody because you realize anybody that accomplishes, anybody who does anything, the work and the, you know, the courage it took to get there is tremendous. And the effort it takes should only be rewarded. You know, as, as you know, the critics on the couch who, who wrote just about this little trailer, just like we were the worst people in the world, you know, just ripped us apart. And I, I, you wanted to respond and be like, don't you, I gave up my life savings and you know, the only, it's not specialized. Like they were nice enough to donate some jerseys and you know, like, you know, it was just, anyway, it was just so, so personal and so nasty. So I realized this is a perfect forum for somebody like me who apparently has issues being criticized. N not that I would get mean and confrontational, but it just hurt, you know, it hurt deeply. You know, and I talked to other, again, people who were, you know, in real bands who are, you know, playing internationally. And they're like, oh yeah, we just don't look at, we can't read criticism, so we don't read it. So I've stopped. I don't read the reviews, good right. or bad. I just don't look at them. Right. And because, but at the same time, I go, this is actually really good for me. Like, you know, of all the things, if this is one of my issues and this is a fear I need to face, well, I guess I've chosen a, <laughs> chosen <the laughs> I've chosen right a fight that it's going to be right back in my face. So that'll be, uh, yeah. What better way than to face your fears? So you talked about the life coach. You talked about mm -hmm. the journey. Uh, you know, showing up every single day. What do you think the next five years looks like? Can you map that out? How, I <laughs> no. mean, you have, you have your idea, answer. but. Yeah, I do. I mean, where it goes, nobody knows, right? Who predicted this pandemic the last two years? Who could have seen, sure. you know, life, things like that. So I've been working luckily with, uh, we've got this, uh, uh, an acoustics uh, analytics company that I've been, been working with and we're hoping can do some good things to help monitor anxiety and depression. So hopefully we'll do something really good with that. And our goal is to sell the company 
next year and then the book will come out and my goal is okay back to making movies i'm going to you know make my next two independent films and hopefully that'll lead to i've got this dream project uh, so to, the objective is to be full-time full-time in making yeah. movies and writing that's and, what i want to do full-time 100 percent. yeah and and that that seems that that seems relatively it, it seems possible i guess is what i'm saying well, I don't, I'm going to do it. So, <laughs> I mean, I might be having to, you know, find, be asking for jobs at restaurants, you know, a month into it. But if that's the case, that's the case. But yeah, I, I'm so excited to get back to the next film, um, to get back to, to, to writing. And like I said, maybe these books lead somewhere else. But, and again, I'm not sure where it leads to, but certainly writing, you know, full time. Yeah. And part of it is... That, that might is, be three in the morning with a day job too, but whatever it is. Well, you've yeah. done that before. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. Part of it is this personal journey, though, too, right? This, this. I mean, for you, how much have you learned along the way in this journey? I mean, mm -hmm. you're talking about what have you learned? The Dorothy? criticism, you know, the, like recognizing that that is one of your one of your touch points is the criticism. Yeah, I think. I, but I mean, obviously, I think at some point you. Yeah, I, um, I mean, that, that's like a, a screenwriting. Like archetypal theme, like if you don't learn something, it doesn't matter where you leave or change your location, change your jobs, the problems are still going to hit you. You know, it doesn't matter. Well, in certain, you know, certain circumstances, certainly for me leaving, there was, you know, finding a better job in a way that aligned better with my interests. But, you know, your personal, who you are doesn't change unless you're willing to face some of those issues and, and force change. And change is never easy. As um, we all know, sometimes it's forced on you. Right. You, know, you have an accident and suddenly everything has changed. Suddenly, you know, other times you have to make the change. And, you know, how each of us faces that, you know, that's, we each have our own challenges and it takes our own work to go through it. But if you're not willing to go through the change, then you face other resistance and that leads towards other forms of angst or depression or, you know, other issues. So um, I don't know what I've learned. <laughs> I might not have learned anything that I need to take more writing classes, I guess. But, I don't think that's the I mean, I'm sure you um, need to continue to grow continue and improve. But I think that's what I love, and I think you do too. Right, like, sure. Everything you've done in your life has been to challenge yourself. You've never said, well, now I'm going to sit back. Now, you know, now, okay, I've got the, these medals. Now, what's my next challenge? Everything you've done has been keep challenging myself, keep pushing myself. And then you do learn, and you do change, and you do grow, and you help other people. And you. So I think there is that that desire i think you know i don't think i don't think we are our i think as people we don't like to just be stagnant you know you, know, you just you rust if you you stagnate so to yeah. keep pushing forward i mean you know we've talked about that is, is that sometimes that battles against being just content you know can we can i just be happy with where i am I'm like yes but it doesn't mean i don't want to keep pushing, keep pushing. to do more and, and challenge myself i mean i think that's the Therein lies the fun, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, standing at the top of the run you haven't done before, or you know, setting a goal in a marathon, or making another TV show and putting yourself out there. I mean, there's a certain adrenaline that goes with that, and you know, there's a certain level of of. Uh, there's only certain ways I think in modern society that we we truly get to challenge ourselves and face death because I don't really want to die, really. I mean, that's I've got a long long time to go on that. You know, hopefully, this is the Calvin and Hobbes uh, exactly quote, right. Exactly. <laughs> what what is that Calvin and Hobbes quote? <laughs> it's one reason of what God's put me on this earth to accomplish a certain amount of things, and right now I'm so far behind, I'm never going to die. <laughs> so, I think you and I, we've got some longevity going for us right now. There's a lot to do. We might live forever. This is immortality. <laughs> this is it. Just I'm keep so falling cool. behind. It is true. It's it's been it's been a, I mean, looking at it from the outside. It's yeah. been a challenging journey. 
I mean, wanting to wanting to be a writer, wanting to be an actor, wanting to make films, doing all of these things. I mean, I remember going to our film class, and then we we generally go out after the film class, and then you'd go back and write until five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And what do you what do you say to yourself? Like, how do you how do you keep going when you're when you're not sleeping, when you're getting no's as answers? for all of your dreams how what, what, what I, mean, I think i felt into? so privileged i mean in so many ways i mean I, have, I i think i always had a hard time ever complaining and people would look at me here i was like the one person who didn't want to be in med school you know with a head injury and i had all my friends saying you're the only person that smiles through med school i mean i was like you like you know you just kind of like this is what you know you're just what you're here for you just enjoy it you laugh you do it you just do the work and so for me it was just you know, I think compared to most people, how could I complain where you've got people who are food insecure? You know, you've got people who are you know, afraid to walk down their street. You know, there's so many people who are, are truly in difficult straits that to me, I'm living this middle class lifestyle as a white male. So there was, you know, where, how could I could say my life was difficult or challenged? So it never felt like that level of challenge. You know, if I didn't have the money for a movie, I mean, I felt like my attitude, it wasn't even an attitude. I think I just, in my mind, I was like, well, it's, it's a movie nobody's going to see anyway, but I'm just going to keep trying to get it made. You know, it wasn't, you know, so I wasn't like, I was like, oh my, you know, I never had this sense of this is so hard. This is something I have to do. And, you know, I, I, that level of angst didn't seem to accomplish anything. But I, I, there, I think there's just a deep belief that no matter how difficult it was, I was going to get there. You know, it was just kind of that sense of I'm, I'm going to run a three-hour marathon. Well, I'm going to train to do it and I will. And I'm going to get a movie made. I don't know how. I don't know how. Where does that deep belief come from, though? Because well, I've definitely dealt with mostly like a lot of therapy, therapy of, you know, <laughs> trying to, like I said, there were a lot of tears, too. I've had some definitely like, you know, trying to realize you are good enough. And that was probably more proving it to, you know, deep-seated issues. But um, even with the film, you know, like with the book, I mean, I wrote it. I must have thought it was going to go somewhere if I wrote it. And then eventually I had to, you know, self-publish it to get it out there. I don't know how, but again, it wasn't. So to me, it was like, well, I just self-published it. So it's, it's, it takes away from the accomplishment in a way. It wasn't like some publisher came and said, here's... So I, I mean, I think I naturally just diminish or, or, you know, I think the book's self-deprecating for a reason. You know, it's like, I, I can laugh at my life, like I said. And in some ways, it's been pretty good. But I think... Uh, um, well, we've always, like, I keep going back to sports analogies just because, you know, with, with skiing stuff, like, it was just you kept going bigger and bigger and you wanted to go down more challenging terrain and you kept pushing to be at the top. And, but there was also this, these, that flow that comes with it. And I think it, the sports, the reason analogies work in sports is it's physically so you we're able to tap into it right there in the moment. Whereas with a book, it's a whole lot more of, you know, banging your head on the desk and sitting down to that blank page and writing it and writing it. And then you sometimes just have a good moment or, yeah, maybe one person comes up and says, oh my goodness, that just made me laugh. You know, that was such, a, I really enjoyed it. And you go, okay, that was all worth it. it Which great. is when you get to share it. Because there are a lot of times when you're writing a book that is, it, it's just so solitary. You are on your own and yeah. you show up in your office or in your coffee shop or wherever you show up and, and go, okay, well, I'm doing this today. This is what I decided I'm going to do and this is what I'm going to do. You mentioned that you're, your kids were kind of, you know, being this example in some ways for your kids and, and being able to, to help them see that they should do what they want to do, that they should, they should be passionate about whatever they're going to do. What do you wish that they would say about you? Oh, just that dad loved us, he supported <laughs> us. Yeah, that stuff gets really simple. 
Is that it? That's you the know, simple yeah. part. Oh my it? goodness! Like if you know, when they're older, how they say, "Dad made us laugh," and he used to, you know, run around the house doing crazy things with us and being silly, you know. And he, you know, you know, you know, he wanted us to, do, you know, to be happy and to do whatever we want in life. You know, even with I, you know, talk with our oldest son who loves soccer, but almost weekly I'll be like, "Dude, if you don't like this, I don't care if you leave. You know, I don't care." I mean, this is, you know, if you want to do this, I'll drive you all over wherever you want to play and wherever teams will we'll be there. I'll, I mean, I'm, I became the assistant coach through U.S. Soccer now. <laughs> I'm at his practices, and I love it. And but, but, you know, I, want to, I constantly tell him, you know, if you love this, great, we're here, 100% in. And, you know, if you don't, it's okay, too. Um, so, I, yeah, I've never, so, yeah, that stuff, that stuff, you just wanted to know that you supported and loved them, that's all. Um, but I do notice, like even other artists, when you see other people who have succeeded, I mean, I think when you and I were, were working on films, I mean, I constantly, and I still do tell you, you're, you're an inspiration to me, or when I see other you know, people put out their book, I'm going, okay, if they did it, I can do it, and I hope my book does it too. I mean, I, 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 mean, I, I comment, you know, if I went through med school, anybody can go through med school. So you know, hopefully it inspires a few people who are thinking about it, go, you know what, look at it, this is what it is. It's, you, know, it's, you do the work and you, you have fun along the way and you, know, you laugh at yourself. And um, so in that sense, I think we all, in different ways we might never know. I mean, the amount of inspirational podcasts I've listened to that, you know, you're having a rough day and all of a sudden you hear somebody like, yeah, you know what, there's a lot of other Italian restaurants out there, but if your favorite Italian restaurant hadn't opened up, you know, because they were worried there's other ones, you wouldn't get to go there. So put your book out there because, yeah, there's other books on that subject, but there's not yours. So, you know, you get those little messages all the time from different places. So, yeah, we're all just here to help each other. It is, and sometimes that's the hardest part, though, is the, is the getting started and the believing in yourself enough to show up the second day, the third day. Oh, for sure. I mean, we've, I mean, I think just, we've, we've talked about it. You know, Stephen Pressfield brings up the big R, resistance, and I think it was Oprah said it best. She said, oh, until I actually talked to you, I didn't realize it's, it's like a force of gravity. It's a natural force. Resistance is a true force of nature. You know, you can deny it, but it's there. So as soon as you set out to do, and it's almost funny, as soon as you set out to do something, how many things, suddenly the plumbing breaks, suddenly, you know, the kids want to do this. Like you really have to go, no, I am blocking out time. I'm going to do it. And the, you know, the more you commit, there's going to be other forms of resistance. And there's the biggest of all, certainly that self-critic internal resistance to, like you just said, sit down every day is, okay, is this worth it? Why am I doing it? You know, you, and you just, boom, clear the head and see if we all find different tricks, you know, whether it's, okay, I'm going to set the clock and just start. And once I start, then it starts to flow or some days it doesn't. Um, but that's the thing I found is, okay, it's always there. The resistance is always there. There's always something more interesting to check out on. Let's see what random team is playing cricket over in Bangladesh at three in the morning. Not that I'll check soccer scores, but I'm just saying there's always something to click on. There's always another book I'd rather be reading or, gosh, I'm a little hungry. I should go work out now or... Um, Which is the funny thing in some ways, I think. Like if you go for a bike ride, you're not getting to the end of the block going, okay, I, I, think, I think this just isn't working today. But, <laughs> exactly. But on the writing side, that's really easy to... The, the, it is really hard. Yeah, yeah it's much easier to rewrite once you have words on the page. So I think once you get stuff down, it's so much easier and more fun to work on. Um, but I think that the thing I found is just write, just start. You know, like even if it just sucks, like you have to sit there and boom, I do, I you set a timer, okay. There you go. Here you are. You're not doing anything else. And even then there's resistance. And even then it's like, but why? And this doesn't work. And I'm like, I don't have the perfect sense of that. And I don't know what I'm doing. This is still causing issues, this one. And maybe I should work on that other project. I should go work on that other script or that, that other page. But no, it's once you start working, start working, that usually busts through it. At least you get something down. There, there's that. And then there's probably the other side as well, that there are times that you go back and read something and go, 
wow, that's actually really good. I didn't, I didn't remember writing anything that was really good, and that was really good. That is funny you say that, because, yeah, I was going to say, I was going to joke and say, no, most of the times I look back and go, oh, shoot, I thought that was brilliant when I wrote it. It's absolute <laughs> crap. It's kind of like when you have those brilliant moments at night, you write, you're like, you say, you write, oh, that's the best thought for a movie night, best line ever, and I write it down, and the next morning you can't read it, or, or you're like, oh, that's not really good at all. Um, but, yeah, a lot of times once you write something down and you do go back, oh, okay, I can work with that. And, uh, you know, I just needed to get through it, so. And do you still handwrite, or do you write on your computer, or how do you do it now? Uh, the book and screenplays are all right on a computer. Um, I, do, I do journal uh, freehand, a morning pages type thing. Okay. I'm not as consistent as I should be, but that one I'll do freehand. So, second book, when is the second book coming out? December 27th it launches. December 27th, and obviously yep. people can, can pre-order as well. Yeah, the, the Amazon does thing where you can pre-order the ebook, but if you put the paper book out, they start selling right away, so that'll come out when it, when it launches. Okay. But the, uh, yeah, for the digital copies, that, those are, we've got pre-orders are, are already starting. We've already exceeded the pre-orders for the first book, and I haven't even advertised it yet, so. For the so first, for the second book? For the second book, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, so that's fine. And so my, this marketing woman, Louise Newlands, She's amazing. If anybody needs somebody to do marketing work, uh, she came up with this great trailer idea. So that'll pop and show. And we just got that cut. So that's looking good. Okay. And is there like a little, like a little card or something like that? that like if I buy it for a friend for for Christmas, that then I can give them this envelope with a card that says there will be a book that is coming to you. Um, I think we're gonna do something coming up just because it's right before the holidays. Right. Um, I think we're gonna do something like we'll do like some. Uh, I gotta figure it out how it works logistically, but we'll do a bunch of like signed books for, for friends who wanna uh, give it out for Christmas so they can get some, they get it beforehand okay. and get some signed copies ahead of time. And where can they, where can they find, where can people find this information? Is it on so the it's, website? So it's on or? Amazon. Okay. And then um, we'll put it on the website, which is johnlawrencewriter.com. Okay. I say questionable. <laughs> Well, that's, that's what you are on Instagram as well. Okay, yeah. so yeah, so that's the same thing. Uh, so on Instagram, it's the same as the website. Um, uh, so yeah, so that's where that is. And then um, I think May or June, we'll, we'll get the third one out. Let's give it a few months to just let the second one breathe and then put the third one out. Give people a chance to read it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lengthy read. They probably want to read it a few times. <laughs> really get, pick get up all the nuances. The, all the nuance. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they can go back and read the first one as well. And it's been, See where it comes the first from. one's been out for a little while, so they might have forgotten the first one. <laughs> Catch back up on the first one to then pick up the second one. Yeah, there's, um, there's, some, there, there's a few references, but yeah, uh, available for book clubs. We can sit down and and that's something that's actually been really successful for you. A been bunch really of book fun. clubs have read your book and yeah. Yeah, brought yeah. you in. Good questions. And actually, what, I mean, it was really sweet. Um, one of our mutual friends had us over, and uh, one of the women that was there happened to own a bookstore in town, Dolly's. Mm -hmm. And so she said, well, let's get the, the book in there. And they've sold through multiple runs of the book now. So it's great. <sighs> awesome. Yeah, they're yeah. awesome. That is so cool. And it sounds like it's a lot of fun to be able to share your story. I mean, that's got to be interesting, right? Because it is it's more personal that way. I mean, you, you write your book, you give it, you put it out there, people read it, but they're not necessarily conversing with you about your book, whereas at the book club, they are conversing with you about the book and probably finding some depths that you might not have anticipated. It's funny, yeah, well, luckily they're, all, they're mostly friends, so they probably are polite enough not to tell me they don't like it or they didn't <laughs> show up to that book club that night. Um, but then uh, it is interesting, what they've focused on, it's been really different each time. You know, some like the chapters that they liked or what they want to ask about are completely different than what I would have expected. 
and the questions that come up are, are you know, same thing, different than what I thought they would have focused on. Like, you know, like the last one, I think it was, was great, got a really deep dive about medicine and, and, you know, the ethics of medicine and the work schedules of medicine, what's appropriate. So it was really interesting. Um, some of the things I talked about in book two that, you know, I kept saying, oh, that's actually what I'm going to talk about in residency. But, you know, their minds went right there. They just picked up on different things that I thought were the, the main topic. So, yeah, it's been really fun for me to actually get different insight. That is absolutely awesome. So people can go to Amazon. It's called Playing Doctor, and it's the 27th of December that it comes out. You can also pre-order the ebook, or you can go to johnlawrencewriter.com. Yeah, and um, yeah, or if you haven't read book one, <laughs> catch you up on how to wonder how in the world I got to this book first. Yeah. I think that sounds like a really good idea. And John, thank you so much for thank joining you. us. Thank you. What a this treat. This is a pleasure. This is awesome to leave, to just the journey that you took and the decisions that you made. I think most of us are not courageous enough to, to be able to, to follow our heart, to follow our bliss. I mean, oh, I see, I think I see it all the time. Yeah. I feel like every time we, Every, every day we all face it. So I, like I said, I'm the one that didn't have the courage to really that big step, um, but maybe I've learned some along the way. And I feel like we've talked all about me and I, usually our conversations are more back and forth and you're, you're such a good host. Here I am just. Oh no, this is absolutely spectacular. So I look, well, we'll, we'll get to do that again. We'll, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll switch the roles the next yeah, time. Yeah, so everybody should know that everything you've heard here, anything that I was inspired by, Chris has been a big inspiration for any of the work they're writing. So well, thank you. it's entirely our, our friendship's been yeah. Yeah, key to all of this. We, my, my wife and I leave after, after meeting with John and go, I don't know how John does it. Which is what I say about them. So <laughs> it's a mutual. <laughs> We keep ourselves going. Exactly. Well, this is wonderful. Thank you to all of you for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed it. The greatest compliment that you can pay us is to tell your friends to like us, to follow us. We'll continue to have great people and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks a lot. Thank you for joining us. Please subscribe to Chris Whiteout Living It for more stories on the adaptive community, the Paralympics, artists, athletes, entrepreneurs, experts, in the experience of being human. Also follow us on Spotify, Apple, Facebook, and Instagram. I look forward to seeing you next week.